Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at bkcwest.com. All right, so we are in Genesis. First book of the Bible starts in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We started with chapter one and two last week. And chapters one and two, we see that God is the creator. We see that he intentionally creates, and we see that he creates personally. Uh, in chapter one, while creating, there's seven different points where it says, it says, and God saw that it was good. And then the seventh time when it's all done, it says that it was very good or like abundantly good. And so the reason that God says it's good at each point is uh, it, it's, it's the Hebrew word tov. So uh, you may have heard like the term like mazel tov, right? Which means good luck. And so it's that word that's used in Genesis here, like tov. It's good. And so uh, the reason God says that something's good in Genesis as he creates is because it has life and it's able to reproduce that life or influence other life or share life with something else or someone else. And so all throughout, God says it's good because it can have that. Now, fast forward to chapter two, God says something isn't tov, isn't good. He says it's not good that man would dwell alone. Why is that? Because man couldn't fulfill his purpose or reproduce. He couldn't be tov. He couldn't produce the life that he had without someone else. And so God brought him woman. And so man couldn't fulfill his purpose without woman. And woman couldn't fulfill her purpose without man. But after God did that, everything was tov. Everything was good because of that. And so um, from a worldview standpoint, in chapters one and two, we answer the question that's important for a worldview, uh, which is basically like, this is what I believe. So I make all my decisions based upon this. Chapters one and two answer the question, where did the world come from? Where did we come from? We see, well, God created it. We talked about how it doesn't set out to prove the existence of God. The book of Genesis, as it's written, actually doesn't set out to say, hey, I'm going to prove God to you. The Bible actually doesn't do that. It just communicates who he is and his heart towards people and who people are. And so along those lines, chapters 3 through 11 will answer the question, what went wrong with the world? Because like we talked about with Ukraine and the war that's going on and then the things that happen just in daily, daily life, we can see that something's wrong. So as we look at chapters three through five today, I want to do something. <clears throat> I think that part of what God wants to do in these chapters, and I think through the whole Bible, <clears throat> is to set the record straight. Like, have you ever been falsely accused of something? Uh, you know, you ever been misunderstood? I, it can drive you crazy, right? Like, well, no, that's not what I meant. That's not what I said. But somebody's off to the races and has made their conclusions about you. Or the worst of that in our world would be that uh, people that have been incarcerated for a crime that they didn't commit, and then like 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years later, they're let loose. And then the best they can do is set the record straight. Well, <clears throat> think about God. I mean, if there's any person that gets a bad rap, it's God, right? I mean, think about it. Uh, <clears throat> well, if I was God, I would have done this. Or, you know, well, why did God give people free will? But I, I want to do what I want to do. 
Well, if God was going to make things right, why didn't he do it this way? Or, or if God was going to make things right, why didn't he do it right away? Or if God's going to come back, why doesn't he come back yet? Or, or why did God allow this to happen? God gets the, bad, the worst rap out of any person that's ever lived. And so to a certain extent, I want to set the record straight about God's heart and who he is for us. Look at him today as we read these chapters. It's interesting. Adam and Eve sin in this today, and then their, their son, Cain, kills Abel. And so, and then more things just perpetuate from there. So it's almost like the people get the, the focus. Don't let it happen. Don't focus on that and let that define it. Let God define these chapters and see how he is over and over again going to people and relating to people. That's who God is. So let's read together in chapter one of, uh, I mean, chapter three of Genesis, verse one. <clears throat> and we begin to see creation go from tov or good to not good quickly in chapter three, where we see Adam and Eve playing religious games. See, that just didn't start with us. Adam and Eve started playing the first religious games. So it says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Okay, so somehow Satan is communicating with Eve, the first woman, through a serpent. Okay, so uh, Ezekiel chapter 28 in the Old Testament, prophet Ezekiel says that Satan was in the Garden of Eden. So that's how we know that. Uh, Isaiah 14 says that uh, the reason Satan fell, because he was a created being, uh, and he, he, he was probably one of top's, God's top angels. He, he, was a, he was a worshiping angel. You know? he, he worshiped God, and, and yet he, uh, his heart grew uh, prideful, and he said, I'm going to be greater than God. I'm going to be higher than God. So it makes sense that then he tries to have humans do that as well. So the serpent's first question <clears throat> What, it, what he's trying to do is he's trying to make, to destabilize Eve. He presents God's positive statement, which is you can eat of any of the trees in the garden, except for the one in the middle. And what he says is he expresses it negatively. And he says, did God really say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? And so what he's trying to get her to do is he's trying to get her to say like, am I right? Do I have this right? I mean, what, what did God say? I mean, what, what did he really say? And, and so she's, she's off balance. And so when she replies back to the serpent, which you see this kind of going, it's just like when you're having a conversation with a serpent, you know, or you're having a conversation with Satan, uh, I mean, the Bible says to rebuke Satan, but you don't really want him to get into a long, drawn-out conversation. And so what she says, she does good, you guys. She pushes back and she says, actually... That's the first word all my three boys learned. Actually, you know, little guys pushing back. Let me tell you how it is. But she says, actually, but she adds something to what God said, which is don't touch it. You can't touch it. Even if you touch it, you'll die. So Satan has her on the run. 
And I mean, if you've ever been tempted by something, if you've ever, you know, I mean, you experience this too. Like uh, you start doubting, uh, you start doubting, well, what's really true? Like, well, you know, is what God said, is, is it true? Um, you know, and then he gets her to start uh, questioning God's goodness. And he makes her feel silly. He's like, you really believe that? You really believe that? He says, you're not going to die. And then he says also too, guess what? God's holding out on you. See, God has all this good that you could have, but he's not giving it to you. You could just get it yourself. And so he has her on the run and uh, notice that his idea ultimately is to change the way that Eve relates to the rest of creation, including her husband, and then including God. And that's what's at work right now. She's changing the way she's relating to them. Notice she's navigating this alone. Why is she navigating this alone? Why couldn't she ask Adam for help, her helpmate? Why couldn't she ask God? God, what do you think? Hey, could you remind me, Lord, what you, know, what you said and what we're supposed to do here with this? And yet she navigates it alone. And so creation is starting to change. Verse six, it says, the woman was convinced. And you ever kind of do something and, and you realize that even though you know it's not wise, or even though you know it's going to cause co- problems and consequences, you've made up your mind. Like, you're kind of like, yeah, that all makes sense, but this, this truck is in motion. You know, it's like when you say to yourself, do we have ice cream? You know, you look, there's ice cream. I just wanted to know. No, you're, you're, that train's going. I mean, as soon as you look or as soon as you, right? And so um, that's what's happening with Eve. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Now, remember, the reason uh, why, did you change that? Yeah, don't, I, I, I got it. Thank you. Um, the reason that, <clears throat> the reason that, um, that they're not supposed to eat of the tree of good and evil, it's good. Like to have knowledge of good and evil is good. God wants that wisdom for them. But it's much like many things with God, you would get by not getting. So instead of going to the tree of knowledge, good and evil, you go to God, you get wisdom from God. And so now she's like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and get it. It also shows us that the first people were in a learning process. Everything was just, just wasn't perfect right away. They were learning to relate to God and, and to one another. And Eve is superseding that. So it says, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Okay, so we see the trajectory of the good of creation has completely changed at this point. And it has to do with the way that creation is now relating with one another. See, God said, I want you to rule over creation. Man and woman rule over creation. Eve is now ruled by the serpent instead of ruling over the serpent. Uh, Eve doesn't consult Adam relationally. Remember it says that they're one, that leave father and mother and they become one. She doesn't consult Adam relationally. 
but she just does it by her own. That oneness is broken. She doesn't consult God. She doesn't relate to God in that way. And also, too, at the end of chapter 2, it says that they were naked and they felt no shame. And yet now, one of the first reactions is they feel shame. And so that was the whole purpose of this conversation is for them to have that. So we see the being known and knowing of humans has now been changed. And we see humans hiding with coverings from one another. Okay, so they... they they take fig leaves and, and they, they sow those. And fig leaves are like, you know, pretty big leaves, like eight or nine inches wide in circumference. And, and kind of they're, I mean, but got to be itchy too, right? You know, I mean, it's, but they're just like, hey, we're going to cover up. And, and you ask yourself, well, how did they know that they were naked or how did they feel shame? And, and I don't know. I mean, they, they may have started commenting on each other because it says their eyes were opened. You know, and, and so, so the man looks at the woman, the woman looks at the man, it's like, look at you, what are you doing? And so they felt shame, and it just compiled, and so things were changing quickly. You also see that they hide from God. They heard that God was there, and they hid from him. So hiding was there, never there before. The way people are relating with God and one and each other has, has changed. But God asked questions, and It's because he wants to help. He wants to get them back on the road to good or tov. And, and, you know, depending on your parents, when you grew up, you know, you, you feel certain things right now, man, when I blew it, my parents would come in or, you know, just let me have it. Or, you know, they'd yell and scream or, you know, um, but what God does, the parent that comes in, he asks questions. Why? Because he's trying to get them back on track. He's trying to bring them back to Tove. He's trying to bring creation back to Tove. And so you see how amazing God is, is that he doesn't blast them, but he asks them, where are you? Who told you? Have you eaten from the tree? He knows, but he's trying to help them know where they are. So they've changed all the relationships of the world that was good, and now they're not good. But the important thing is they need to know where they are. Uh, when I was in high school, I delivered pizzas as one of my jobs. And so uh, it was a you know, growing area and lots of new homes and stuff. And so for the most part, I, I knew where it was and before GPS. And so I had a map and, or I had a Thomas Brothers guide. Anybody have those? Okay. And, and you can't read those things. They bleed onto the next page and it's all over the place. And I did pretty good, but every once in a while I'd get lost. And so I'd call the person that, uh, that, that ordered the pizza. Um, and, but I, I just realized to myself, I said, how did I do that? I didn't have a cell phone. See, in my mind, in my, in my mind, how I did this, I picked up my cell phone, but this was, this was like early 90s, so there, I didn't have a cell phone, or if I did, it would be like a brick. You know, anybody have one of those, those big, huge bricks, you've seen those? But what I would do is I'd pull over to a pay phone, or I'd go back to the, to the pizza place, and I'd call the person, hey, where's the place? And I always got the best directions, because they were very motivated. You know, they wanted to get their pizza while it was still hot. But the first thing that they would ask is, where are you? What do you see? So that's what God is doing here. Now, in the rest of Genesis, uh, verses 12 through 24, we see that the progression of learning to relate to one another, creation and God has been changed forever. It's absolutely changed. Because remember, it wasn't just like, hey, everything's perfect. There was a learning that was taking place. And so the blame game started. As soon as God asked the questions, what does Adam do? He blames God and he blames Eve. He says, he says, well, God, the woman that you gave me, gave me the fruit. So he blames God and he blames her. And then, and then Eve says, well, the serpent made me do it. 
He made me do it. So the blame game starts, right? There's not taking responsibility, passing on the other one. There's punishment and consequences that come in. Uh, God says to the serpent that you're cursed and that you'll, you'll, you'll survive on your belly and eat dust and dirt on the ground. And there'll be hostility with humans. So the serpent is cursed for the rest of its life and its time. Uh, there would be pain in childbirth for women. Um, and, and this is, it, it, this, God doesn't say, I curse you with chain and, uh, pain in childbirth. He's saying that this is the consequence. Like, this is what you've opened up. This is how it's going to be. God's not putting this on them. He curses the, the serpent. But for them, he says, here's some consequences of this. And so um, there's relational jockeying. It says that, that, that you know, you, the, the, your husband will rule over you, but you'll desire to rule over. It's like this, you know, this constantly like who, you know, who's really, you know, in charge here and all those things. And then for the man and, and women too, struggle at work before they worked. But now you're going to, you're going to earn your living by the sweat of your brow. You're going to toil and, and it's going to be hard for you now. And then they were banished from eating the, from the tree of life. Cause remember they could eat of any tree in the tree of life, they never ate of the tree of life. And that's the learning that takes place. But now God says, now that they're thinking this way and relating to us this way, they can't eat of the tree of life because their hearts and the way they relate aren't right. And they also get kicked out of Eden. But then there's grace, you guys. There's grace because it says that uh, we see God lean into relationship and he promises a personal solution. So verse 15 is one of the most powerful verses in all of scripture, uh, because what God does is he promises that he's going to do something about this problem. You see, Adam and Eve would just think transactionally and just say, no big deal. Oops. But God says, no, you've changed the way you relate with creation, me and each other. This ultimately has to be cleaned out. So in verse 15, he says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman And between your offspring, he's speaking to the serpent, serpent, ultimately Satan, and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And so this adversity is personalized. He says he. Well, this is talk, this is the first promise, this is the first announcement of good news. And so right away, in the moment of sin, God says, I'm gonna do something about it. And so it's the promise of a Messiah. It's the promise of Jesus Christ. It's the promise of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that he would supersede what Satan and Adam and Eve had put into the human race. So all the way back then, we see the promise of Jesus. And so God meets them in need and provides covering for them. Remember, they felt shame. And so they put these fig leaves over themselves to cover themselves. And it wasn't suitable. Like that's not going to do for very long. And so even though they sinned and they went against God, God meets them personally, steps into their world, and he actually takes uh, animal skins and provides that covering for them. Also, too, notice there's no death at this point. The first death was somehow God taking an animal, animal skins, possibly killing an animal, in providing that for them, which is a foreshadowing of what would happen with the Lamb of God that would be slaughtered for the sins of the world, that would be sacrificed for them. And so they were were covered in that. So do you see God? Do you see him here? 
He's not sitting here just up, you know, he is upset, he's hurt, he's wounded, but he's, he's sitting there saying like, he's like all in, he's right into it. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to do something later, figure out your clothes yourselves. He says, let me meet you in your shame. Let me meet you in your uncomfortableness. Let me meet you that way. So do you see the heart of God? Do you see what he's really like? Now, at this point, the relationship is restored and they're walking with him, they're with him, but they've stepped into an arena though where things happen. It's like when I was about eight or nine, uh, I had a friend and he had a bow and arrow and uh, had a few arrows. And, uh, and so uh, we put, set up this target on a chair and uh, out near my garage, out in the driveway. And, and uh, it was a windy day. And so the target kept blowing over. So I said, no problem, I'll hold it. Some of you are like, I don't know that I want to listen to this guy anymore. I don't know that I, what he's saying is true. And so, so, you know, I sat there holding it. I still remember to this day, I could feel it. And I'm sitting there and as the first arrow goes, I'm like, what in the world am I doing? And so, so uh, luckily he wasn't, a, he wasn't anywhere near a good shot. So he went like way over here, way right. Okay. But, but then I said, hold on a second. I don't know that this is a great idea. But if I had gotten an arrow, that wouldn't have been some like great surprise. I put myself in an environment where I could get shot by an arrow. And so have Adam and Eve put themselves now into this arena that as they have gone against what God said, they now will experience consequences. And we, we all know that. It's rippling all throughout creation now. And so in Genesis 4, we see hijacked emotions. Anybody ever been hijacked by their emotions? We see that with Adam and Eve's offspring, Cain. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel in his gift, but he did not accept Cain in his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. All right, so Adam and Eve have two sons. Cain means acquired or possessed. So Eve is saying, with the Lord, I acquired this son, this possession. Now they name the second son, Abel. Abel means kind of just like a, a cloud that's there and gone. It's there for a second, like you squirt a mist out of a squirt bottle. You see it, and then it's gone. And that's what we see with Abel's life as well. Uh, it says Abel looked after animals and Cain looked, looked after crops. Uh, They both knew to worship God with a sacrifice of gratitude. They weren't sacrificing for sin. We go to that right away. But they were, it was an, it was a, uh, it was a thing of gratitude. They were worshiping God to give thanks. So crops or lambs didn't matter so much. It's not really technical, but the quality of it and the heart behind it mattered everything. You see, it says that, that Abel brought like the best. And with Cain, it says he brought some. And then from the New Testament, <clears throat> at least the New Testament writers think that it says, you know, the writer of Hebrews says that by faith, Abel 
presented a better sacrifice. So somehow his heart was tuned to God's differently in some way. But in verse five, it says that Cain, when his wasn't accepted, it says that he looked dejected. And the idea here is, is that he would not look face to face with God, that he turned his face away. That's the idea. He wouldn't relate to God. See, we think that the problem is, is our act of sin or our act of failure or our our mistakes that we make. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that we stop relating to God. And so that's what happens here with Cain. God is right there, but Cain, his feelings are hurting and his emotions are riling up. And so he chooses not to relate to God. See, Cain is following after Eve in not relating to God. That's what Eve did too. See, Eve depersonalized and marginalized God. She decided to just like, well, I got God's word. I've got these words that I've heard God say. I've got these words here and she's talking to the serpent. She's going back and forth and she's depersonalized God down to a moment of time or history and things that he said instead of saying, hey God, what do you think? She decided to know about God instead of knowing God. And she ended up in sin. Now with Cain, what he's doing is he, he's turning God into a transaction, which is like, what? I brought this stuff to you. What's the deal? Like, why isn't it working? I mean, I'm doing the religious stuff. I'm doing this thing. Like, why aren't you happy? And then it turns into when he doesn't get the response that he wants and he turns away from God, he's saying, well, why is this happening to me? Why did you bless them and not me, God? Why are they getting that and not me? And so he's comparing and he's upset and he's angry, it says. So Cain is getting hijacked in his emotions. In verse six, it says, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, do you see God? Do you see him like leaning in? He's not like, well, hey, stinks to be you. You should have brought something better. I'm going to go do some other things. (laughs) No, he's leaning in in this moment. The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? In other words, why are you not relating to me? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. So Cain is just completely hijacked. You know, he's feeling it, you know, and he just, he just gets taken over and it follows through. And, you know, God intervenes as he sees that's happening. And he calls Cain and he asks him to personally relate to him. And he says, look, if you do good, in other words, if you relate to me, you'll be okay. If you don't relate to me, you won't. Because that's what happens when we get hijacked and our emotions take over and we say and do just horrible things that we would never think about saying or doing is we're relating to our emotions in those things and they're taking us over and our minds get unintegrated, right? Instead of relating to God. Because how is God? God is always unanxious. God is always even keeled. 
where you can go and relate to him and be with him. Like if you walk into a room, some of you can feel it. Like if, if there's a bunch of anxiety in a room, you can walk in and say, whoa. And the key is, is to not take that on yourself is to say, well, that's somebody else's. I'm not going to take that on me. But Jesus is always, like if you walk into a room, like Jesus is in that room. And so what can you do if that room is uncomfortable? You can link up to him. And that's what God is trying to do here with, with Cain. He's saying like, hey, link up to me. You've got your emotions and this whole mess and what you're feeling here. But will you link up to me and just be with me and I'll help you bring this down. And then over time, Cain would rule over his emotions by linking up and learning from God. I mean, do you see what God is like? Do you see how he is just right there? He's with you. He's not far off. He's not saying just deal with your own stuff. He's right with you. Now, when he says, am I my brother's guardian? What Cain is saying is he's saying, am I my brother's keeper? He's saying like, hey, you, you made me to, to, to till the ground and to bring produce up. I mean, isn't that what I did? And, and I brought it to you and you didn't even like it, God. So what are you asking me about my brother? That's your deal. Watch after people. So again, he's, he's putting a rift between him and God even more. So Cain's choosing not to relate to soil. That's why he's, he's, he, he can't be around the soil. He's choosing not to relate to his brother, choosing not to relate to God. So the rest of the chapter... Genesis 4, 11 through 26, the progression of learning to relate one another, creation and God, is, is, is now fractured. Even further, even more than Adam and Eve, the punishment and consequences. Uh, he, he will no longer be fruitful in the ground, from the ground where he brought all this produce and things, and he'll be a wanderer. Cain represents all of us in that he would no longer have a home. He would be at home at some place, but he would not be home. That's why in this world, we look at it, and even at the best moments in the best place, we still feel like, you know, I think there's something better. I think I was made for something better. Even though this is really good right now, I know that there's something better. I know that there's a home better than this. So Cain was the first wanderer. He wouldn't be able to relate to creation, his parents, or God in a way of knowing. He would relate to them in a way of just wandering from place to place and person to place. He went and settled in in the land of Nod, it says, which means a place of wandering. Uh, The weight of that would be heavy. Like the idea of waywardness is, is, is a concept in the Old Testament. It's just like we need somebody to carry our waywardness. We need to be forgiven. We need this weight taken off of us. Like it's too heavy for me to bear. And so Cain says to God, this weight that you've put on me is too heavy. And, and he's worried too. And he says like, somebody will kill me which keys us off that there's other people on the face of the earth. And so he's worried about the descendants of, of Abel. His family would find him and kill him. And so, so God meets Cain in his pain, in his hurt too. And he says, hey, I'm scared. And then God says this to him in Genesis 4, verse 15. He says, the Lord replied, no, for you, I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So do you see, God is associating with Cain in his sin. He's going to him and he's putting his mark on him, telling people, hey, he's mine, don't touch him. And I understand, well, wait a minute, he did this. I mean, you know, shouldn't he, you know, and so, but God says, hey, I'm going to keep relating to Cain. He's mine, don't touch him. And so, uh, but things get worse. 
uh, Lamech, Cain's great-great-grandson, in the latter part of chapter four, he ends up killing somebody that uh, just like made a mistake or hurt him. It's not like an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's just, he ends up, it says, hey, he's bragging about it. He's like, hey, this guy wounded me and so I killed him. I spilled his blood. And so you see generation after generation, you see that start to ripple out, that you see this sin spread, this relating to one another, that we not only would relate to each other to give life or reproduce life, but we would actually take life. And so it continues today. But there's grace. Because God's in the midst of it still. So God leans into relationship like we read here. He puts his mark upon him. And Cain founded a city and had offspring that the people were the first farmers, the first metal workers, and the first musicians. You see that story there. Also, too, there's hope because God's working in Adam and Eve, and they have another son to replace Abel. His name's Seth. And any time in scripture you see a birth, typically it means like a new chapter of hope or a new life that's coming. Like this is signaling you that pay attention because something's happening. It's a, it's a fresh start. And it says at the end of the chapter, it says at that time they began to worship God by name, by the name Yahweh. And they didn't know that name back then, but it's for the readers now to say, oh, that's the God that we worship. He was there back then. And it means that they would worship out loud and praise, prayer and worship. Now, as we go into chapter five, I'm going to spare you. It's, it's a long genealogy. And it goes through. And um, verse one says, this is the written account of, and anytime you see that in Genesis, it happens 10 times. And, and it's signaling a new section of Genesis. And it's signaling like, hey, not just I want you to pay attention to what's here with this, but it's signaling God's purpose and God's plan that he started that was good, that was tov, is continuing. When you see the genealogy, it's saying, look, God's tov, God's good that he started is continuing. Don't focus on all the mess. And you see God step in. Yes, there's punishment, consequences, but then there's grace upon grace upon grace as God relates to them and draws them back to good. Now, um, so the genealogies in scripture aren't typically like a family tree. Like if, if you look at, um, you know, different sites that have family trees and stuff, it's just each generation. You're like, wait, something skipped. They will always skip within scripture. Because they're telling a story. The story is more important. The progression is more important than showing each person. And so in chapter five, it just lists men. Obviously, there's plenty of women too. You have patriarchal society. And so they're just listing men for the story. But they have super long lifespans. Like they're living like 700, 800, 900 years. I mean, can you imagine? Like, can you imagine like if you're just getting started? Now, in our life, to reach to 100 years, like that's what... Most people think, man, I want to get to 100. I'd like to get to 100. But, but most don't. But in this, it's like, man, if you could get to 1,000. But it's teased. The person that lives the longest, 969 years. But all throughout this, though, you have the names listed. They say their name. They say some of their descendants the, you know, that were born after them. And then it says, and then they died. Person after person, and then they died, and then they died. And see, the serpent was true. Adam and Eve didn't die right away. 
but the consequence was still there that they would die. I mean, isn't that true with temptation? Isn't that true with sin? It's just like, well, you know, like you're not just going to spontaneously combust if you do this. Most things. But you do put yourself into a place of holding the target for the arrow. There's consequences for it. And so in chapter five, though, it's pretty depressing. It's like, and then they died, and then they died, and then they died. But then in verse 22, we see this. And it's beautiful, and it's this, it's this thing of setting the record straight of what is God like? What is he really doing? What does he really see? It says this, after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. I mean, do you see, do you see the picture? Do, do you see the picture that there's this guy, Enoch, that isn't going to believe the stories? Like, he's not going to live by the stories that we don't relate to one each other in this way that God created. And, and we don't relate to God in that way that, you know, thinking God's against us or these things. But he's deciding that, that God is good, just like his creation. And then you see God meeting Enoch in that and saying, I'm not going to just live by this story of these things that people are doing and relating differently from my good, but I'm going to find people that will relate to me in a good way in the way that I created them. And he finds Enoch and they take walks together. People, this is what you were made for. Is to walk closely and take walks with your papa, your daddy, God. Life really is that simple. And you say, well, wait a minute. Something happened to him though, right? It says he was taken away. He disappeared. And somehow we see this with a couple other people in the Bible, but somehow they were taking a walk one day and then maybe God just looked at him. He said, you know, Enoch, you just want to come with me today? Like, I mean, you just want to continue with me? Just, I don't want any more distance. Just, just come on. Just come with me. And somehow he did. And that's the call of God to all people. There's so many distractions. There's so many things that get in the way. A lot of times our failure is the best. Like those get in the way so much. Like, well, God wouldn't accept me because of what I've done. Well, Cody, you don't know what I've done. Well, you don't know what I've done. I packed it in for about a 10-year period from my, pre- my pre-teens and, and through my 20s. And I met Jesus in the midst of it. And it took him a while to clean me up. He's still doing it. See, it's not to get in the way. We see it clearly. God is not pushing people away. He's drawing them into himself. And the ultimate example you see with Jesus, that he becomes one of us, ultimately. It's leading all to that. He's like, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm never far away. You sin, but I come and cover your sin. And then ultimately I'm coming and I'm sending my son Jesus. And then you're going to really know what I'm like when he comes. And then you see Jesus, that he'll hang out with anybody. He's not shocked by anybody's sin or the things that they've done. He leans in. And just like we talked about, The problem isn't our sin. The problem is that we turn away. 
And so all of us today, here, you, like, I get it. There's things in life that have been done to you and there's things that you've done that you say, man, but is that, do you want to be defined by your worst day? Do you want to be defined by those things or do you want to be defined that you're a beloved son or daughter of God? That's how you're to be defined. And so he says, come walk with me. You say, well, I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand all this stuff or whatever. It's like, hey, I've been studying it for over 30 years. Tons of stuff I don't understand still. And that's not the point. Remember Eve, she said, I know it. I know the word, but she stopped relating to God. So just come and know him. Come walk with him. And, you know, I, I, I thought, well, what about us together, God? You know, like us as a church, us as a people, us in Kansas City, who are we? And, you know, what does that look like for us to walk this out together? And in Ephesians 2, verse 22, it says, And in him, speaking of Jesus, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, we see this picture that, that you're walking with God. But in the New Testament, God says, hey, I'm moving in. That the holy place is now people themselves. Jesus said, if I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is like me. So if you want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, they're like Jesus. And he says that Jesus will then come live inside of you. The very life of God pulsing and moving inside of you, him sharing his life with you, him showing you how to do things. And so how close is God? Way closer than we can believe. And so let's set the record straight. He's so good. He's so near and he's so loving and he has life for us. He's with us. He's not pushing people away, but he's actually forgiving sins and forgetting sins and bringing life to all people. So let's take part. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. 